This is Joel Johnson, Senior Minister at Parkview Christian Church. I want to thank you for listening to our sermons online. If you have any questions, feel free to contact me by email at joeljohnson at parkviewfinley.org. When I was in high school, I went on a mission trip to Mexico. We went down to Juarez, close to the border of Texas, and uh, we, we built homes for some families there. Uh, our, our group, there were, there were several work groups there, each one building a different house. We went into this, this uh, village where families had constructed for themselves shelter out of pallets, cardboard, and old tarps. And we were able to pour concrete, made a, a wooden structure with a roof, put stucco around, provide actual separate rooms, some privacy, some uh, a home for uh, families there. It was an incredible experience. Through that process, we uh, got to know uh, the people there in that little village. We got to spend some time with the kids. It's the, the week that I learned the Spanish word abondiga. So uh, while we were interacting with the children during the day, um, we, we got to, to try and communicate a little bit. Uh, some of the, the Mexican children knew some, some English. We, uh, a couple of us in the group, knew a little bit of Spanish. And in the process, we tried to make communication happen. And some of the fun that we had was just kind of pointing to things and having them tell us what the Spanish word was. And we would tell them the English word. And so we had a couple of brothers in our group that were just really funny guys. They had nicknames for each other. And their nicknames were meat products. So the older brother would say to his younger brother, hey, pork chop, get out of bed. Like, just generally speaking, there's things like that. And so while we were talking to the kids, finding out different Spanish words, he said, what's the Spanish word for pork chop? And the, the children had no idea. No say. And uh, one of the older ones said, ah, a bondiga. So what, what is that? He said, it's meatball. And so for the rest of the, the trip, this guy's name was Abondiga, and we just kept calling him that. In, in the course of that experience, uh, we were there to work and, and talk about Jesus. We also spent an afternoon down in the market, kind of like a flea market. It was all enclosed. Our guide took us there. The vendors knew we were coming, that we were Americans, and uh, kind of prepared the, the scene. He talked to us about, about what we would find there, all these uh, vendors with things for sale, uh, woven Mexican blankets, handmade wooden things. We were getting souvenirs, just buying things. And uh, the, the marketplace was designed to to kind of haggle the price, to talk about, you know, if something's marked, don't pay the full price, don't just throw all your money on one thing, but talk to the vendors, try and, try and find some middle ground, agree on a price. It was part of the experience of being there and uh, learning a little bit of Spanish and trying to figure out all these things. It was, it was a lot of fun. And what, what we found in the marketplace were all these really nice looking things. We looked across the, the room and we saw like, like designer watches, uh, Purses that looked high-end, um, clothing, sunglasses, this whole section. It was just like, I can't believe this stuff is here. As we got closer, we realized that while it looked really expensive, it, it wasn't. It was like knockoff name brand products that you could buy for, you know, $10, $15. And, and it looked genuine. It looked authentic. They weren't made quite as well as the original they wouldn't stand up to scrutiny if you really, you know, kind of looked closely. Some of the, the name, brand names were misspelled. Some of the, the stamps of the logos looked different than the original should. And, and some of us were really interested in buying some of these things that looked like they cost a lot of money, even though we knew that they were counterfeit. We talked a few weeks ago about, about how tempting it is for us to present a counterfeit image of who we are. 
to create this, this persona that we, we want people to believe about ourselves, whether that's uh, being more, more popular than we are, more influential, more in control, maybe more spiritual. Uh, that this image sometimes we hope people will believe, we, we need to be able to back up with our actions, with our words, with our behaviors. It needs, our, especially in terms of our faith, we need to be genuine and authentic in the representation of who we are. We also have been talking about the truth of God's word and how important it is for us to be faithful to the original meaning of Scripture and not accept false teaching, not accept a counterfeit substitute for what God's word truly says, that we would be dedicated to telling people about the truth of God's word, and that we would, we would commit ourselves to evaluate the things that we're hearing and the people that we're hearing from to make sure that what we're receiving is genuine, that we're not settling for some twisting of scripture that fits another person's perspective or denominational theology, but we're honoring God's word for what it truly says. This is important as we talk today about the church at Thyatira, the next letter to the, one of the seven churches that we're reading in the book of Revelation, a, a church that had a lot going for it, had, had a, a lot of, of great things happening there, but also they were plagued by a, a prophetess who was among them in the church, leading the believers astray, having them accept this, this charade of truth and, and compromise their moral standards so that they could blend in with culture around them, with society around them. We're going to begin reading Revelation chapter 2 in verse 18. If you have a Bible and you want to open with me, I encourage you to do so. The words will be on the screen. If you have a phone or tablet and you want to use the version app, just open up the Bible app, search under events for Parkview Finley. You'll find scripture and sermon notes there in the version app for this morning. Let's begin reading together in verse 18. To the angel of the church at Thyatira write, These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire, whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering. I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you except hold on to what you have until I come. To the one who's victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. That one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery. Just as I have received authority from my father, I will also give that one the morning star. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, this letter, like the, the previous that we've discussed, begins with this signature line of Jesus. This reference to the image that John saw in his vision of, of, of the power and glory of Jesus. There are two specific images that are highlighted for the church at Thyatira. First, the eyes of Jesus, like a blazing fire, the intensity of his look. Can you imagine 
trying to meet the eyes of Jesus. You've been in the room with a, a very important, powerful person, and uh, it, it's hard to hold your head up and look that person in the eye. Sometimes we're, we're tempted to, to change our posture, to, to look away. Imagine being in the presence of Jesus and seeing his eyes blazing like a fire. We'll give you the impression, like a friend of mine says, that his eyes are looking right into your soul, that he sees everything, that there's nothing hidden from him. Everything is known. Also, we are given this image of the feet of Jesus, burnished bronze, highly polished, gleaming, this powerful, strong metal placed on foundation of truth. They're so brightly polished that there's no doubt about where his feet stand. They are clearly seen by all. This image of Jesus is given to authenticate the message to the church at Thyatira. He said, I know your deeds. You are doing great things. You are full of love. You have a genuine faith. You're actively involved in the church. And not only do you have all these things going for you, but what you're doing now is more than you did at first. You're growing in the expression of your faith. You're growing in maturity. You're growing in your relationships together. And you're growing closer to the Lord. Think about the significance of what that says about the church, that their lives were so authentic and faithful. They had this, this complete, full, healthy expression of faith in the way that they were living out their lives. They're growing in the Lord. This is a great example to us in the way that we worship together, that our consistent and faithful service honors the Lord. Not only does it honor the Lord, but it helps us grow closer to Him. It helps us grow closer to one another as we experience more of Him, as we grow in maturity, as we deepen our understanding of who He is. We, we find a healthier place to worship together. We find this 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 growth that, that develops and deepens our maturity in him, that draws us close to him. And, and it includes all of the things of our spiritual lives that, that are required for us to grow together, that we would focus on every aspect, not just get keyed in on one aspect of our relationship with the Lord to the detriment of the others, but that we would, we would work in all of those areas together to deepen our faith in Jesus, that we would gather together for worship on Sunday mornings and lift up the name of Jesus and praise him that we would study his word and grow in our understanding of that truth, that we would spend time in prayer, personally devoted to a conversation with God and grow in our understanding of who he is, that we would serve his church and serve his kingdom as we reach out into the community, that we would evangelize the lost, that we would spread the message of the love and grace of Jesus Christ in the world around us, that through the full expression of our faith, that we would discover a, a, a depth in our relationship with the Lord, that we're continually growing in. And that through that process, we would also discover the depth of relationships that are possible when we deeply connect with the people in the family of believers that God has blessed us with. If you're new with us this morning, I want to encourage you to, to grow together with the people here, to get plugged in, to get to know the people around you that you're worshiping next to. If you've been attending for a while, you've been coming to Sunday services, you're enjoying the, the process of, of worshiping together, and, and, and this place has for you a feeling of home, I want to encourage you to spread some roots out, to get connected to others, 
to begin growing in, in your faith, in your relationship with Jesus Christ, that, that you would go beyond coming to worship together and be actively involved in the kingdom of God here at the church. We have a variety of ways for you to get plugged in, to get connected, that will help you grow personally in your relationship with God, that will help you get to know others around you. One of the great ways for you to do that is in a connect group Bible study, a small group of believers who gather together throughout the week. Some of them meet here at church. Some of them meet in the homes of of some of our our members. And and these small groups are a great way for you to, to develop deep relationships as you share life together, as you share meals together, as you go through Bible studies together, as you live lives of faith together, you're able to stand and and hold each other up and encourage one another. You're able to to walk through difficulties together. You're able to support one another through health crises, through family crises. You're able to to be the, the love of God in the lives of people around you. We also have ministry teams that you can be a part of, service groups, for you to engage in, a great way to get to know people that you're serving next to, and also a great way to get to know the rest of the believers here in the church as, as we serve together on Sundays and get to know the community as we go outside the walls and serve our community. It's, it's an incredible way to use your time and talent and energy to serve something greater than yourself. If you are not yet more deeply involved than Sunday morning, I want to challenge you to think about how you can grow in these areas, as you can focus on a well-rounded expression of faith as you grow in your relationship with the Lord and grow in relationships with other people. This is the example we have from the church in Thyatira, that they were, they were living in their faith and growing in their faith in the Lord. Along with the encouragement that was given to them from Jesus, there was also this warning So he began to talk to them about the things he saw in the church that needed to be improved. Nevertheless, he said, I have this against you. You tolerate this woman, Jezebel, who is is drawing believers away from the Lord, who is influencing them to compromise their, their moral standards so that they can have a greater standing in the world around them. Now, Thyatira is known as a city, was known as a city of industry. Working people lived there. There were a lot of trades. And historically speaking, we, we have heard that there are a lot of trade guilds. And this, these groupings of, of, of craftsmen that, that work together would very often have a, a, a patron, some idol that they would worship as a group together. And in the process of their, of their meetings, they would sacrifice food to that idol. They would indulge in sexual immorality and the worship of that idol. And so for the believers who were craftsmen who belonged to those guilds, it very likely was a matter of their financial standing, of their influence in the community, of their standing among those guilds, that they participate in the worship of these idols. And this prophetess Jezebel that was in the church was leading the believers from what we read in the scripture to do two things, to eat food sacrificed to idols and to indulge in sexual immorality. And so we connect the dots from what we know historically about the city of Thyatira and say most likely she was challenging the believers in the church to say, these these guilds are present. It's a part of your work. It's a part of your life in the community. And it's okay for you to believe in God and yet violate the moral standards that you read in scripture, as long as it's in support of your business, as long as it helps your standing in the community. You think about the danger of that message. It's okay for you to say, I'm a Christian, I believe in God, but not live according to the standards that go with your faith. And how, how 
Jesus was very clearly calling the believer's attention to the, the danger of listening, of being influenced by that message, and indulging in all the things that go with that, and destroying their witness in the world around them, destroying the authenticity of their faith in Jesus Christ, because they were compromising with the standards of the culture around them. There's sin present in the church because they're listening to this voice of influence and, and allowing it to take root, allowing it to change their behavior. Now, we, we hear that message and we think, oh, there are believers in a church who are listening to other voices and they're, they're tempted to, to mold themselves according to the culture around them. That would, why would believers do that? Who would, be, who, who would fall for that kind of, of a message? We look around in the world around us and we see how easy it is to be swayed, how easy it is to be influenced, how easy it is to be pressured, to think about other kinds of teaching, to think about these other messages that, that are calling us to align with Scripture. As sin and righteousness are redefined in the world around us of what's right and what's wrong, and the blurring of those lines, and the redefining of standards that are clearly described to us in Scripture, and we're called to step away from those moral boundaries and agree with the things that the world tells us are acceptable and to mold ourselves based off of the pattern that we see in the lives of people around us. No, we are called to stand on the truth of God's word within the moral boundaries that we find there and authentically represent the truth that's there as we live and grow closer to the Lord, as we support one another, encourage one another in the way that we're living our lives the church at Thyatira, struggling with this influence, willfully following these teachings. And sin was present in the church. And, and what the, the message to the church said was very clear. This woman who's leading others to sin, she will be punished. She is unrepentant and not willing to turn back to the Lord. Those who are following her, who are indulging in sin because she's influencing them, those who aren't repentant, they also will be punished for their sin. It calls us to think about our own lives, to think about our own relationship with the Lord and, and consider how, how easily are we persuaded? How easily influenced are we? How readily do we listen to these messages in our lives, especially in times of, of, of difficulty, when we experience loss, when we experience setbacks, when, when we have major health concerns, when, when financial crises come in our lives, we're looking for answers and we're looking for a way out. How in those difficult, lonely moments, how readily are we looking for answers and asking questions and, and willing to listen to voices that we wouldn't normally listen to? We need to be very careful in those times of temptation not to be fooled by the counterfeit, not to be taken in by the inauthentic, but that we would commit ourselves to the truth of God's word and seek his will and seek his way and not be swayed, not be pushed to take hold of those messages that would lead us away from the Lord. When we were in the marketplace looking at all that merchandise, it was tempting for us as teenagers to want to, to buy those things that would make us look like we were cool and wealthy and influential. And when I was a teenager, Oakleys were in. 
And it was like the old sports Oakleys that had this, the, the straight plastic and the solid, the solid mirrored lens that goes all the way across. The guys that wore those were the coolest guys around. They were the most athletic. They were from the most affluent families. And all of us wanted to be like them. And all of us wanted those glasses. And we saw them uh, you know, on sale like for a very cheap price. Even though they weren't authentic, there was this temptation for each one of us to, to buy multiple pairs so that we could go back to, to the community and be wearing these these, these jokelies, these, these fake Oakleys that were a joke. And just to, to know that people were going to look at us and think, wow, he must have made it. And in our minds, we could just imagine all of our friends just in awe of our cool sunglasses. But you know what? We knew that it was all charade. And anybody who got close enough to look could very easily see that there was no truth to this confidence. When we're tempted to buy in to falsehood, when, when we're tempted to be swayed by the pressure of the world around us, we need to remember the, the, the strength of authenticity. We need to, to remember the commitment we have to the truth of God's word and be genuine in our expression of faith. It's an important part of who we're called to be in our relationship with the Lord. An important part of our expression of faith. That we would be committed to the truth that has substance, that stands up to scrutiny, that, that will genuinely carry our lives forward toward eternity and not be tempted to be influenced by the messages that we hear all around us. Not be tempted to buy in to the falsehood that would lead us away from the Lord, to understand the, the full ramifications of our behavior and our actions. Why? Because Jesus reminded the church at Thyatira of the consequences of their sin. He said, nevertheless, I have this against you. You're tolerating this woman Jezebel. She is calling you away from the Lord. And, and know this, she is unrepentant, unwilling to turn back to me, and she will be punished. Those who follow after her and engage in this kind of immorality will also be punished. And as much as we'd like to ignore those consequences, they are a part of the nature of God who is holy and just, who will not tolerate sin. And when sin is present, that sin is punished. Sin brings about punishment from God. And when we walk away from the Lord and chase after sin, we can expect punishment to come. Now, there's a big divide in our minds about our behavior and, and the consequences of our behavior. Sometimes there's a divide because we, when we are tempted and we indulge in sin, we, we don't immediately experience any consequences. We think, oh, I got away with it. I can keep going down this road. I can keep doing the things that I'm doing. And, and because I've gotten away with it, maybe I'll just keep getting away with it, ignoring the fact that the consequences of sin are eternal consequences. And while we may not experience punishment here and now, it will come. There are other ways that we disassociate the consequences of sin, sometimes because the sacrifice of Jesus is so far separated from our lives today. We weren't present when he laid his life down on the cross. We weren't there to hear the agony of the torture of the cross. We weren't there to, to hear the nails being pounded into his hands and his feet. We forget the cost 
that he paid to bring about our forgiveness. And we forget that the punishment was taken from us by him. And when when we ignore the cost of that punishment, we sometimes continue on in our sin, forgetting that Jesus died, not just for all of the sins of the world, but for the sins of each one of us. He died for you and he died for me. And the, the sin in my life is what he died to forgive. And the grace is available to me because he laid down his life for me. And when I remember that, when I, when I reassociate the punishment with my sin, it's a reminder to me to honor the Lord with my behavior, to thank Jesus for the grace that he's extended into my life through his sacrifice, and to strive to live within the moral boundaries of his word, to honor him with my authentic life that, that is authenticating, that is a reminder of the clarity of the truth It's found only in his word. We cannot ignore the consequences of sin. Though we may disassociate with them, we have to acknowledge that they are present and they're real. The church at Thyatira needed to be reminded of the dangerous road they were on, listening to this voice of a a prophetess leading them away from the Lord. But not everyone at the church was, was following after. Not everyone at the church was, was engaged in this kind of immorality. There were others there who were faithful. And he says this, Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching, who have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I won't impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. You know, living according to the, the, the moral boundaries of God's word, a living committed to the authentic truth of Scripture can very often feel like we're walking a tightrope, standing on the truth of the Word of God while, while the influence of the world is pressuring us to step away from those commitments, to accept and blur the lines of morality as we, as we are swayed by the influence of the world. And we have to keep our balance, standing on the foundation of the truth of God's Word. We have to keep moving forward even when we face difficult conversations with with family members, with loved ones, with people that we work with, knowing that they're trying to get us to agree with other lifestyles, that they're trying to get us to say that that things are okay, that Scripture clearly says are not okay, to, to redefine the nature of sin and righteousness so that more people can feel good about the things that they're choosing to do. And we have to say, no, the truth of God's word tells me that these are the moral boundaries within which you and I have to live our lives. There is no redefining. (laughs) There is no blurring of the lines. There is no twisting of our interpretation of what this might mean. We have to be faithful to the truth of what God's word says to move forward and not deviate from the path that he's laid out before us. Even though the pressure to do so is intense, we cannot compromise and be molded by the culture of the world around us. Instead, we're molded and shaped by the image of Christ. As an example, even when it's difficult. And he says these words to the church at Thyatira, hold on, hold on to what you have until I come. This morning, 
I just want to speak into your life today. If you're, if you're struggling in your relationships, if you're feeling the, the intense pressure of, of the people around you that you care about, people in your family, people that you work next to, if you're, if you're walking through life with your kids and seeing the influence of the voices of the, in their lives at school, if you're feeling the pressure of the, the world around you and you're not sure if you can continue to hold that weight up, to stand in the face of such intense pressure, listen to these words of Jesus and hold on. Don't give in. Don't give up. Your faith is an example in the world around you. To other people who, who see you proclaiming the name of Christ, your faithfulness to the moral boundaries of Scripture Prove your authenticity. Prove the genuineness of your faith. Prove the truth of the love and grace of Jesus Christ. Because you're committed, because you haven't faltered, because you're not willing to compromise, validating the truth of that word. And we were in that marketplace. There were, there were purses available that, you know, whatever, whatever high-end Purses where they were, coach or whatever it was. I looked at the purses like, I can't tell the difference. I don't, I don't even know where to start. Oh, if there's an obvious flaw, yeah, I could say that one's fake. But I don't know anything about purses. In order for me to be able to recognize the authentic, in order for me, able to, for me to be able to see the difference between truth and falsehood, I have to know the genuine article when I see it. I have to be so well-versed in my understanding of Scripture that as soon as I hear a message that is a twisting of that truth, I can say, that's wrong. That doesn't ring true with what I know God's word to say. That doesn't ring true. And, and when we experience those pressures, when we hear those voices, when we're, when we're swayed by that influence, it's important for us to know God's word so that we can identify authentic from fake. And not be swayed by those messages, no matter how powerful we are. Remember, your faith is an example. And how you handle the pressure of the world around you is a testimony to the power of God at work in your life. When you're able to stand, when, when the world around you is pressuring you to give in and compromise, your life becomes an inspiration to people around you who are also struggling, who are also feeling pressed to change their way of thinking, to agree with the redefining of morality that's present all around us in culture, they are looking at your life and saying, wow, I, I, I see you standing on the truth of God's word. I see you looking so, so confident, so strong, so secure in what you know scripture to say, and it's inspiring to me. Now, whether you feel that way or not, you have to understand your commitment is inspiring. You might feel on the brink of giving in. But the fact that you haven't yet done so is encouraging to those around you. And we need to remember that when people question our faith, not every question we hear is a question of opposition. Sometimes people around you in your world will ask you questions about your faith because they genuinely want to know the hope that you have and where it comes from. We have to remember that not every challenge to our faith is a challenge of opposition. But the people around you want to make sure that you're authentic. They want to make sure that you're the real deal before they begin to mold and shape their lives according to the truth that you are proclaiming in the world around you. 
And every opportunity you have to talk about the love of God, every opportunity you have to talk about the hope that you have in him is an opportunity to influence the world to come to know Christ as their Lord and Savior and begin living their lives in him. An incredible opportunity that we have each and every day when we commit ourselves to be a genuine representation of what faith in Jesus looks like. Jesus closed out his letter to the church at Thyatira. Verse 26, he says this, to the one who's victorious and does the will, does my will to the end, I'll give authority over the nations. That one will rule them with an iron scepter, will dash them to pieces like pottery, just as I received authority from my father. Now, throughout the book of Revelation, we hear references to this idea of ruling with Christ, of reigning with him and his kingdom. Uh, the, the reality of what that looks like, we have yet to see. But we have this imagery of what the faithful will be called to, this eternal relationship with Jesus. In the next verse, verse 28, he says, I will also give to that one the morning star. Uh, in chapter 22 of the book of Revelation, Jesus calls himself the bright morning star. And, and we're reminded of the value of the presence of Jesus, that when we're faithful to the end, when we hold on to what we've been given, that we will experience the presence of Jesus for eternity. And it's inspiring. And it gives us hope and it gives us strength to think about standing in the face of pressure, of being faithful to the end and knowing that we belong with Jesus. And we want to invite as many people as we can to be there with him. He closes his letter with these words. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now we've, we've heard those words at the end of each of the letters. They're a challenge to us, not only to hear what the message of Jesus says, but to live our lives according to that message, to shape our behavior according to the truth of what his word says, so that we would be a representation of Christ in the world around us. And each and every one of us gets to respond to that challenge, to remain committed to the truth that we know from his word, to stand in the face of pressure from the culture around us to evaluate and be responsible for our own way of thinking to the voices that we hear in the world to weed out, to sift out what's true from what's false and to faithfully commit ourselves to the word of God in any and every circumstance that we would grow together and support one another through those difficulties, that we would encourage one another and hold each other up as we're facing those pressures, that we would be deeply connected to one another, that we would grow together and serve together as we draw closer to the Lord that our faith would be a, a full representation of who we are in Christ and that together we would hold on until the end. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for the message from your word. We thank you for the truth that you use to challenge our thinking and challenge our behavior. God, I pray that you would inspire us to stand for you, that the pressures we face, the influence that comes would have no foothold in our lives because we would know your word so well, because we would be dedicated to your will and to your ways. God, I pray that you would strengthen us. I pray that you would give us hope. I pray that you would give us a firm place to plant our feet so that we can stand and hold on until the end. We thank you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. This morning, if you have a decision to make about your relationship with Jesus Christ, if there's anything in your life that you'd like to have prayer for, please come forward as we stand and sing together. Stand.